Welcome to the inaugural Wiley on Employment Law podcast. My name is Todd Bromberg. I'm the chair of the Employment and Labor Group at Wiley Ryan. Wiley is a DC-based law firm that is multi-practice, and I, I think we all like to say that we are at the crossroads of law and policy, given that we're in the nation's capital. With me today is Posey Oshinowo. He is special counsel at the firm. Uh, he's been practicing employment law for many years. I love working with Posey because we have a similar approach. What's the best practical advice to give to a client? Really what it comes down to is what I would do if it was my business. So we all know that knowing the law is key, but obviously these are not law school exams when clients call us. It's really a question of what's most practical if you're trying to run a business or in charge of HR and have questions that really are going to affect your employees. So today we're going to talk about the best way to reopen the workplace and some concerns that we've had clients raise and sort of practical problems that they run into. So there are two main issues we're going to try to tackle today. The first is, you know, what does the law really require? What If we look at all the law that's out there right now, there's been a lot of federal regulation. The states have tried to step in to some degree where there wasn't sufficient federal uh, guidance. And what is it that a company needs to know, an employer needs to know when it's trying to open the workplace? And and the second issue is what are the protocols? So putting aside uh, the law, what are the protocols that one should follow in order to meet your obligations uh, to your employees? And and obviously the key about all this is what we want to do is make sure all the employees are safe and that we don't get sued, right? That's what everybody's main concerns are. So with that said, one thing I thought we could start with, Posey, is how would I run the business? How would Posey run the business? What would be the things that we'd care most about in terms of running the business so that we are running the kind of company that we'd be proud of? Yeah, Todd, there's a patchwork of laws, unfortunately. And so there is a landscape out there that can be difficult for employers to navigate. But Just generally speaking, of course, there are the laws that we already know about, the ADA, Title VII, et cetera, similar, uh, the ADEA. Those laws have been in existence for a while. The the obligations that employers have are fairly clear, and they're implicated quite a bit by uh, the various decisions that employers are going to have to make in terms of reopening, whether that is uh, who to bring back, uh, when to bring that person back, and really how to deal with employees who are at a particular risk, according to the CDC, for severe COVID-related symptoms. Beyond the existing laws out there, the non-discrimination laws, there's, of course, also the new laws that have passed with respect to the CARES Act and the FFCRA. Obviously, the FFCRA created some additional obligations for employers in terms of paid leave and uh, other leave. And so it's important for employers to really understand how that impacts their workforce uh, to ensure that they're keeping up with the things that they really need to know. And that, by the way, is a really great example of needing to just really just look back at the laws that exist. So, you know, with the FFCRA, uh, it's an expansion of FMLA, so Family Medical Leave Act. We had a lot of clients coming to us when the law first passed, and people were trying to figure out, well, how do I manage the FFCRA? And it's not that difficult. You you look first at the FMLA. So you're going to get a lot of guidance as to how you would run the program from the FMLA. Most HR experts know that very well. 
And then the question is, well, what's the addition that we put on here and how do we handle that? So uh, the other issue that employers really need to be mindful of relates to the guidance out there and the state and local orders. These state and local orders, um, they don't necessarily create significant legal liability on their face, right? Many of them have minor penalties that we haven't really seen enforced by any states yet. But the reality is following the CDC's guidance, for example, the limited guidance that OSHA has provided and adherence to the state and local orders are really going to end up being the linchpin of understanding what is going to make an employer liable versus not liable in these situations and these lawsuits that we're undoubtedly going to see about the transmission and contraction of COVID in the workplace. And, and I, I think of it as the local laws, those are the things that really are you know, sort of the bread and butter that's providing good and guidance for employers. So if we look at, let's say, Washington, D.C., the mayor has given several orders. She is just starting to roll out what it's going to look like to reopen the workplace. She is still saying, okay, we don't want people coming back into the workplace generally. And that guidance that she's providing is something that all employers really should follow because we now have a standard that the local government has set for all employers. And the failure to follow that standard is what's going to get you in trouble. Texas, on the other hand, you know, where I gave a webinar a month ago when they were just reopening, wholly different set of standards, although very thoughtful standards. So to the extent that people were looking at Texas and thinking they're just out there trying to open too quickly, again, a very thoughtful set of standards, which provided a lot of guidance to employers and guidance, which you didn't have to follow every step, but it did set a standard for everybody, which I think is really the key when we think about this. Because the question is, what standard are you going to follow? You know, and, and it obviously depends a lot upon your workplace. It depends on what kind of business you're running. We have a lot of government contract clients. And from day one, they needed to be back in whatever government facility they needed to be in that provided, you know, perhaps for the security. So that's set one standard. Lawyers coming into a law firm, you could see how most people would say, well, that's not as essential, putting law jokes aside, you can also see that we're able to work remotely, so that's why. But when it comes to that standard, I, I think where the law is headed, and I think, Posey, you, you've been following I think the Walmart case is the major one that's out there so far, is to look at that standard and whether negligence is sort of whether a company has been negligent in terms of how it's opened up its business. Yeah, Todd, in terms of liability, I think negligence suits are what we're going to see the most. And as you mentioned, there's a Walmart case is really one of the first ones we've seen, Evans versus Walmart. It's a, in state court in Cook County, Illinois. And that's a case where Walmart had a, an associate who contracted COVID-19 and passed away. And his estate is now alleging that the company forced workers to work under lax cleaning and safety standards, that they were unreasonable in failing to adhere to CDC and OSHA guidelines concerning cleaning worker isolation, dealing with symptomatic workers. And so you really get an, an understanding of what the standard is going to be for employers. Uh, it's a shifting standard at this point because we've got guidelines and local and state orders, as you mentioned before, that are sort of rapidly being released. And 
the dynamics are changing as the scientists and the government officials get more information. But I think the reality here is that this the only standard that employers have are sort of their own common sense. First of all, you have to know your industry, know your business. But then there is this, we're seeing it in the lawsuits that are coming, and it just makes sense logically that uh, the thing that you're going to have to make sure that you're adhering to, sort of your sanity check, is what does the CDC guidelines say and how have we worked those into our operations? What do the state and local orders say and how have we worked those into our operations? What do the OSHA guidelines say? How have we worked those into our operations? Because that's what a, a judge or a jury is going to be end up looking at uh, if a lawsuit is eventually brought against your company. And, and I would say, look, you know, I'm not, if I'm running a business, I do not feel the need to follow every single guideline if there's a reason for me not to. So again, if, if there's a question as to whether I can reopen my workplace, that's a pretty sensitive discussion you need to have in light of all the guidance that's been out there. And guidance is the key word. You know, again, these are not laws that Congress has passed and said you need to do it this way. And even the local ordinances, for the most part, uh, are not prescribed as laws that need to be followed or guidance, you know, which gets to what the negligence standard is. If you think about it, negligence isn't that complicated. You owe a duty to someone here. It would be to your employees and you breach that duty and that results in harm to somebody. And the question that is, what is the duty? How, how do I define what that duty is? And it's basic idea. It's the failure to exercise a level of care that a reasonably prudent person. Uh, so somebody in your situation, an employer in your situation, would have exercised in similar circumstances. So then if you break that down, it's really just, well, look around me, and how is that going to define, when people look at my conduct, how are they going to judge what I did, and is that what others in my situation would have done? From my standpoint, that sounds a little bit scary if you're not a lawyer, but I actually don't think it is. I think it's a question of thinking about what's out there and what are the arguments that could be put forward if someone was challenging whether or not you were acting reasonably. So Todd, you mentioned causes, and that made me think about another really important issue in terms of understanding your liability and your potential liability, that's causation. One of the elements of any negligence suit is proving proximate cause, that uh, the alleged wrongdoer actually caused the issue. And so I think what we're going to see in terms of COVID-19 is Plaintiff's attorney is really trying to hammer home that uh, a case of COVID-19 was contracted at the workplace or brought from the workplace, and that's what caused the person's injury. Uh, and so for from an employer's perspective, it's going to be really important to make sure that you are treating people with symptoms appropriately, that you are documenting what you've done, that you are uh, isolating individuals who have symptoms or who have been in close contact with individuals who have symptoms of COVID-19. Right. And I think the way as a practical level, and if you imagine a plaintiff's lawyer coming in here, what they're going to say is somebody shows up to work, you didn't do anything about it, and my client got sick, and therefore you must have caused it. You That was the reason. So that's where contact tracing becomes interesting. And there's a question as to how much contact tracing you want to do. Obviously, sending someone home when they're sick is key. And we'll talk about all the protocols that you can put in place or some of them uh, in a few moments. But 
The other part of it is how are you going to trace people in the workplace so that somebody gets sick? How do you know if that mail person who delivered mail in your building has gone throughout the building and how are you going to handle that? So thinking about all these things is key. I know our firm is actually exploring key card kind of system that they developed for when people go to conventions and they want to sort of track where the person's been so that they know, oh, this person spent, you know, an hour at this particular booth. It's a simple card and it shows, you know, who is near who, why they were there, how long they were there. Uh, and you're able to put together a lot of information, which, you know, again, a lot of people are talking about technology as a solution. When I first heard that, I was thinking big brother, but there are technologies out there. You know, another one that's interesting is just having employees answer a series of questions every day. It could be an application on their iPhone. And, and they're able to plug in certain information so that every day someone answers these questions, certifying that the answers are correct uh, and honest and understanding, you know, probably signing a policy that makes it clear that if they don't give accurate information, that, you know, they can be terminated. You have them recording everything on a daily basis. If they don't get a green light at the end by answering all the questions, they can't come in and they should contact someone in HR. But again, it's starting to think about you haven't sent people back into the workplace. How much do you want to go down this road? And what's sufficient? If you don't want to do that, if all that just sounds like too much for you, but what is a sufficient way of addressing that? And, and maybe that's a good transition into, you know, as I said, the best practices when it comes to sort of protocols for letting people in. And Cozy, I know you've worked with a lot of clients on trying to figure out what's best. Can you highlight some of those for us? In terms of policies that you need to be making sure that you have on file, in place, and that you're updating your employees about, there are a few that are really just, you absolutely need to make sure that you have, they're incredibly important. A COVID-19 exposure plan is a general policy that allows you to explain to employees and, and know for yourself uh, what you're going to do when someone tests positive, uh, what you're going to do, how are you going to inform others, the type of cleaning protocols you're going to put into place in instances where you have an isolation situation because of a COVID exposure or COVID positive diagnosis. The next thing you need to make sure you're putting into place is a policy concerning how you're going to conduct and if you're going to conduct uh, employee health checks. So the EEOC has come out and said that, hey, you're not violating the ADA or the Rehab Act if you do temperature checks or if you require certain types of uh, COVID-19 tests. Obviously, you need to make sure that those policies are clear. You need to make sure that you are applying them in a neutral manner that doesn't take into account race, age, or nationality. Those are the big topics that I think the EEOC is going to be paying attention to. But if you're going to be instituting these temperature checks, you need to have a policy about how they're going to be done, uh, when they're going to be done, and what's going to happen with the information. You need to review your attendance policy uh, to make sure that it aligns with what the realities are that we're seeing in COVID-19. There are going to be instances where uh, you have an attendance policy that really doesn't work for this situation because you're going to end up having to uh, discipline quite a few employees or explain why you stopped 
So make sure that you're updating the policy, uh, even if it's just a temporary attendance policy or a COVID-19 attendance policy, that's something that needs to be in place. Um, workplace safety policies that talk about what PPE is required, if any, who is going to supply that PPE, social distancing uh, protocols, uh, cleaning protocols, such as hand washing, uh, things like use of common space. These are all things that are going to be necessary that the White House's guidance on reopening and all the other guidance on reopening that I've seen are pointing out to employers to make sure they're doing. Uh, your sick leave policy is another big one. You need to make sure that it's flexible enough to fit the evolving situation and that it complies with the current law. Uh, the FFCRA creates some additional uh, obligations for employers with respect to leave. You need to make sure that your policy is attuned to that, that your HR folks are aware of that, and they understand how to interpret that in the context of situations that arise in the workplace. Harassment and discrimination policies are also a big one. You know, these shouldn't change. You should already have these on the books. But what really needs to happen in the context of operating during this pandemic is you need to make sure that your complaint reporting and investigative functions aren't affected by any reductions in staffing or staff furloughs. You can't have a policy that says, hey, if you have a problem, report it to this person. And because of reductions in staffing, that mechanism, that reporting mechanism doesn't actually work anymore. So those are the basic policies that you should be reviewing, making sure you put into place. One of the first things that we've been advising clients on, and, and you mentioned this in terms of getting employees to attest to their understanding of the company's policies and their the fact that they've provided accurate information. Um, one of the things that we've done in terms of helping employers feel a little bit more comfortable about potential liability and helping employees feel a little bit more comfortable that the, the company is actually paying attention to these issues is something as simple as creating an employee self-certification and acknowledgement form. That's a very straightforward form that you have employees complete, which basically says, look, I understand that the company has put together certain types of policies in response to COVID-19. I've reviewed them. I agree to comply with them. But the really important rub here is, in addition to that, you're explaining to the employees and getting their acknowledgement and understanding that before they report to work, they have an obligation, if they're experiencing any symptoms, to contact a specific point person, whether that's a supervisor or someone who you have decided to place in charge of ensuring your COVID-19 program, if you will. You have employees fill out this form anytime that they've been out of work or when they're bringing them back into the, in the workspace, anytime they're doing that, and you're putting yourself in a position where you at least have something uh, where you've got the ability to say, look, we have assessed the potential risks here. We have taken measures to address them. We've updated our employees on the measures we're taking. And we've asked for their cooperation in implementing these measures. And we're serious about it. Uh, and you know, each time you as an employee enter this space, you understand that you have certain obligations to the company and your colleagues in terms of reporting whether or not you have been diagnosed or exposed to or are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19. And you have certain obligations in terms of policies as well. 
And there are a couple of things about all that. So if you think about it, I mean, part of it is most important, I would say, if someone's going to stop and say, how am I going to reopen is to have policies in place, right? So Posey, you have been saying, uh, we're going to follow these policies, know what we're going to do. Having those in place before you even open uh, is critical. And training employees, absolutely critical, because that's what you're going to cite to someday is exactly what you've done in writing to keep the workplace safe. You know, it's interesting also what you said about the CDC and how things are changing. I think it was just yesterday, CDC came out and said uh, tentatively, but it seems like people who are asymptomatic actually may not be able to pass it on. I don't know whether they'll fully embrace that, but, you know, that was uh, said yesterday. And then the, the question is, well, if that's true, how is that going to change your written policies? Because if you no longer are worried about asymptomatic people, you know, we've tried to figure out, okay, this is, the CDC says 14 days here. How do we apply it there? We've come up with numbers like seven days in places. And then, in fact, we're impressed to see or happy that we see, well, that seems to be where, you know, everybody else is going. So we're using the right standard, you know, and then clients can adopt that. The other issue uh, that you said about having to keep ADA information and confidential information separate in a separate file, good news there is you have a practical way of doing that. You've probably done it a dozen times, and somebody there knows, oh, when we get an ADA request for a reasonable accommodation, we're going to collect up lots of information. And as you said, Posey, at the you know start of this discussion, that, that is the key. I mean, to, to be able to just follow the laws that are out there so that every move you make, you apply the same standard that you had learned and done for many years. And, you know, there are changes in all this. Clearly, I would never have expected in a million years that the EEOC would be opining on an employer's ability to take someone's temperature as a requirement for reentering the workplace. That is the current state of play. We're in, you know, a pandemic and everything has sort of been turned on its head. But knowing how you would do that and how you would apply that practically in terms of taking people's temperature involves lots of laws that you're already familiar with. How do you do you apply it to everybody? When do you apply it? So it, it does sort of come back to trying to figure out how we're going to handle things given the current situation and not running afoul of laws that we've been struggling with for many years. And Todd, you mentioned training um, and just having the policies. It, it's important to appreciate that those two things uh, go very closely uh, together, right? So you have to have the policies, right? They need to be on the books, but you also need to be training your employees about the policies. So the policies need to be on the books before employees come back into the workplace, and you need to communicate it to them before they come back into the workplace. There are certain policies that you need to try to maybe consider as sort of ongoing training opportunities. So things like hand washing protocols or things that you can have supervisors make sure that they're repeating at the top of every workday. Things like that that give you an opportunity to put up sort of signposts for the future that say, hey, we didn't just do lip service to this idea of making the workplace safe. And while we're operating during this pandemic. We actually actively participated. We actively trained up employees. We kept them informed about what was going on. And at the end of the day, you're maximizing your communication to your employees. You're limiting your conflict with employees. 
but you're also protecting yourself against potential liability because enterprising plaintiff lawyers are going to say, look, yes, you had these policies in place. You absolutely said that you were following the CDC guidelines, but practically speaking, you really only put some things on your internet and your employees never interacted with it in a meaningful way. So were you really being reasonable? And the hard part about that is it is a moving target, right? So we can look back and say, okay, very early on, uh, CDC set a standard for social distancing, or at least said, uh, you know, here's a poster you can use, different guidance that still makes sense. What we're recommending to clients is you're going to have to do this in phases. And you can plan out phase one through four and tell people, you know, you've got four phases. But I strongly recommend that you only roll out phase one. Because we don't know when you're going to want to roll out phase two and what it should really look like until things evolve, both in terms of what we're, you know, how numbers are running in terms of people getting sick, what we're learning as people re-enter the workplace. And as we said earlier, you know, this is a moving target in terms of what the states are requiring. You have different jurisdictions setting different rules. And you need to know that it's very difficult, obviously, to have a set of policies if you operate in multiple jurisdictions. But that is the kind of thing that, you know, from a lawyer's perspective and having worked through this a number of times for clients, I find it very interesting. And it does require dialogue with a client. Uh, I think from a client's perspective, it, it's somewhat daunting just because, you know, you're going to have a set of phases and things are changing and how am I going to implement that? And you know, I don't think it's that difficult if you have the big plan, the big picture, plot it out now so that you can then figure out, okay, how am I going to modify these phases over time and, and roll them out? So I hope you've uh, all found this informative. I know it's something that we give a lot of thought to. And I know everybody's grappling with it and we'll continue to think about in the months ahead. Uh, I don't think this is going to just go away as quickly as we'd all hope. It is interesting to see how some states are handling this. So we are able to see what's the possible. And I think everybody does want to get back to work and in full swing. So on that positive note, uh, we look forward to doing that and having other discussions that perhaps are not limited to COVID in the future. And uh, thank you very much.